Katie and I, when we got married, our plan was that uh, we were going to have kids biologically. Um, God had different plans, and so we ended up adopting two kids. And our agency that we worked through uh, was based in Illinois and Indiana. And so one of the things that we were thinking was, oh man, now our kids are going to be from Illinois, like because we grew up in Wisconsin. And we're like, this is just, I don't know if we can deal with this, uh, and, you know, jokingly. But then God heard our plight. He uh, saw our distress. And in his compassion, he allowed us to adopt two kids from Wisconsin. They both were born in Wisconsin. And so God, um, you know, we, now we can say both of these boys are from Wisconsin, you know, like an imported kind of, you know, now that's, you know, I know that's weird to say it like that, but, uh, so we've adopted these two boys from Wisconsin, even though we uh, live in Illinois, and some of the reasons why that's exciting for us is that there's uh, distinct things about being a Wisconsinite. There's a distinct way to live and go about things, and there's actually this, uh, this lady on Instagram who, I think she's like in her 30s, and apparently she was Miss Wisconsin one year. Um, we discovered that this week when we were like Googling her, where'd she come from? Uh, but she does these jokes, this really dry humor about Wisconsin. And so we like listen to these jokes and we're like, yeah, that's totally it. But if all of you listen to those jokes, you'd be like, what is she talking about? Like, why is this even funny or anything? So one of the things she does is uh, um, she'll like pretend like uh, almost like an online dating profile. And it'll be kind of like, you know, a thumbs up or thumbs down to whether you should date this guy or not. Is he a keeper or not? And one of the things that would make a guy a keeper is that they'll drive past three gas stations in order to be able to stop at a quick trip. Does this make anybody, are you guys all like, why, why quick trip? And exactly, that's what makes it distinctive about being in Wisconsin. Like, quick trip is the best. They have milk in a bag, they have great donuts. It's quick, you got, Steve, you're like so shocked by this. You've got to drive across the border and it's okay. Some people call it the cheddar curtain, uh, that you drive across the border to Wisconsin getting a quick trip experience, and the donuts, the glazers, you know, so good. So that would make someone a keeper. If somebody stopped at a BP when there's a quick trip 10 miles down the road, not a keeper. Uh, another one uh, was about, uh, um, she had this thing about uh, uh, taking book titles and changing them to be a Wisconsin version. What would, what would this be in a Wisconsin version? And there's a, a famous book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Anybody heard that book? And uh, she said that for Wisconsin, just change that title to uh, bring a six-pack of beer. That's how you win friends and influence people. And so she has all these little funny jokes about Wisconsin. And one of the other ones that is about uh, you know someone isn't a keeper if they talk about going up to Lake Geneva as going up north. No, that's not up north. That's not how it works. Uh, So there's these distinct things about Wisconsin. And one of the biggest differences about us living here is that we're Packer fans, and other people are Bears fans. When we were in this series before, this series in First Peter, we've been on a little break with it. Uh, I started off by talking about this whole thing by, uh, if I wore you know, a Packer jersey around town, it's really going to stick out because people um, are going to be like, wow, you're wearing a Packer jersey. Not only that, you're not cheering for the Bears, but you're wearing the jersey and cheering for someone who's like a rival of the Bears that Bears fans hate. They hate Packers, hate Packer fans. And so, like, wearing a Packer jersey is kind of like, do you, you know where you, uh, what, what, what you're doing here? And there's kind of different ways to be a fan. You can be an obnoxious fan. And, you know, I could walk around, you know, all prideful and talking down the Bears and doing all this stuff. 
but you can also be a, a considerate fan, that I can be cheering for a team that other people hate, uh, but other people are like, well, you know, but kind of a nice guy. Like, the only thing I have against him is he's wearing that Packer jersey that, you know, I don't like who you cheer for, you know, but other than that, I don't have a problem with you. And so the, it could, it's possible that I could have a relationship with someone who absolutely hates uh, what I stand for, that I'm a Packer fan, that I wear a Packer jersey, and it's like, well, I don't like that, but, you know, I like you as a person. Um, I don't really like your team, but I have no complaints about you. And someone may hate the jersey I'm wearing, but they you know, don't have anything against me. And this series, the whole title of it is different. It's in First Peter. We've been, I don't know how long we've been on a break from it, maybe six weeks or so. Uh, but coming back to it now, and this is like a transition point in the letter that we're in. And the reason I named the series different is because really Peter kind of wrote a how-to manual for how do you be different in a world that uh, really doesn't want you to be different, in a world that wants you to conform to what it believes, to the, this culture, this society, that uh, this world doesn't want us to be different. And so he says, well, how do you continue to be different? Um, you are different because God has done something in your life. According to his great mercy, he's caused you to be born again. And now you've been entered into this relationship with him, and you, you know, now your life is different. And so you, but you can feel this pressure from the outside to fit in or to, to blend in. Like, I don't really want to stick out too bad. And so he is talking about how do you remain different as a Christ follower? And how do you respond differently than the world does to people who don't agree with you, who don't like you, who might even you know, just hate what you stand for? And I use this illustration when we first began this series, and it's kind of going to be the, the, uh, the umbrella illustration throughout it, is that uh, there's a pastor named Tony Evans, and he says that as Christians we've lost home field advantage in the United States. That there's maybe a time where it was like we were kind of the home team, that Christian values and ethics and morals were more uh, held in society, but now more and more uh, those traditional Orthodox Christian values are becoming distinct and different from what the society values. Or Christians have adjusted their values to match up with the cultures, but if you're sticking to like the traditional Orthodox view of things, uh, then more and more the society is moving a different way, and so now we've lost home field advantage. And when you're the visiting away team, the city's against you. Uh, you know, if I'm a Packer fan going to Soldier Field, nothing there is set up for me. It's all set up for Bears fans, for Bears people. And then I have to make the choice if I'm going to go there and cheer for my team. Like, there's going to be a lot more fans against me than there's fans that are going to be on the same side as me. So that's what it feels like to be the visiting away team. And this letter is Peter's how-to manual. How do you continue to be a player, a fan of Team Jesus uh, when the world is not cheering for Team Jesus and what Jesus stands for? And so he, the really where folks, we read from chapter 2, starting in verse 4, down to verse 12, but really we're focusing on verses 11 and 12. And the, previously in the letter, uh, Peter was setting up, uh, and this is your relationship with God. You have this new relationship with God. Remember that. And this is how it's now changed how you live to have this relationship with God. This is how you relate to other people who have this relationship with God. This is how you relate to God. And now he's going to make this switch to, instead of it being like an in-house conversation, your relationship with God has changed. So kind of like an up, your upward relationship has changed. And you have this relationship uh, in with this group of people that also have had the relationship change. But now he's going to look out to be, what, how has this changed your relationship with the world? How are you supposed to interact with those who don't share this belief that 
you have now. And so in verses 1 and 2, uh, sorry, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2, he starts off by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And this brings us back, he's, he's dropped some of these words throughout the letter. So for instance, he said in verse chapter 1, verse 1, uh, you are elect exiles. Uh, and he talks about um, down in verse, let's see, I didn't write it down, um, but it's down in verse, I can find it quickly. It's, I'm not finding it, so sorry. He says something again later, uh, somewhere in verses 13 through 23, talking about uh, while you're in your time of your like, sojourn, in the time of, that you're a stranger in this world, this is how you should live and talk and, and walk, what you should do. And so he started off this letter, I mean, it just started with this huge praise. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes through, what, why are we praising God here? What is, what is he, you know, like we started off with, why is he worthy of our praise? And then he goes through and he tells them, this is, this is why, this is why, this is why. Because he's changed your future. And because your future has changed, your now has changed. And how you live now has changed because of what you have to look forward to. And he's telling them, you've received this grace, that this God's grace has come into your life. And you can see that grace is one of the main themes of his letter. Because at the very end of the letter, he says, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so he wants to tell them, God's grace has come into your life. He's stepped into your life and he's changed you. And be, but because of that, now you are sojourners and exiles in this world. Because now you have a different king. The king you serve is different than the king that the world serves. You're, you're part of a different kingdom, a different people, a different nation. And you may look like the people around you. You may live where they live. You may live next to them. You may speak the same language. But you do not belong anymore. Because now your citizenship has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You are a citizen of a different place. It's like you moved here from someplace far away. For instance, someone from Wisconsin, like me, moves here. Okay, I am living here, but I still have all these distinct things about me from Wisconsin. For instance, bag. You all are like, what's a bag? Well, it's a bag, I think. Is that how you say it? I don't, bag? Is that how you say it in Illinois? I don't know. I just say bag, stag, rag, you know, so it's like, you talk funny. You know, I have these things that have carried over, and it would be even more distinct if you're from a different country, so you, English is your second language, you might have an accent, have way, way more different customs and stuff that, oh, we have this holiday on this day, and you guys don't have that holiday in this country, and, well, we celebrated Christmas this way when we were, you know, from wherever we were from, and so there's these, dis- now there's these distinct things we have as people who are now citizens of the kingdom of God, where that's our primary citizenship. It's like we're, we've always lived here, but now all of a sudden we're foreigners, we're strangers, we're sojourners and exiles in this world because we're part of a different one, a different kingdom. And you can think of a sojourner as like, we're a guest, it's temporary, we're non-residents, we're, we're visitors. It's like this world, we're, you know, we're guests in it now because we're, God has called us to a different one. And exile means you're a foreigner, an outcast, an alien, a stranger. And so there's going to be things about this world that are going to, this just does not feel like home. Things here do not feel like they're, how they're supposed to be, but it's because God has called us to a different kingdom. And that's why he talks about it as, uh, up in verse 3, according to his great mercies, caused you to be born again to a living hope. It's like there's no other way to explain it except to say, 
it's like you've been born a second time. You're like a completely different person now when God reaches into our life according to his great mercy and pulls us out of that darkness into his light. It's just like, I, it's, it's so different. It's like I got born again. I'm a whole different person, new kind of person. And so that's where he starts off with here, that command uh, saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. I'm going to remind you, this is how what your experience is going to be in the world and he talks about two different influences that are going to be difficult for us. So first he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh. But then he also goes on, he says, the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. And then he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, oh, I, missed, I moved too far, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So there's two influences that are going to work against us remaining committed to Jesus, surrendered to Jesus. One is an internal influence and the other is an external influence. And so he says, abstain from the passions of your flesh. That's an internal influence. But then he says, people are going to be speaking against you as evildoers. That's an external influence. So these two influences, one, the internal one, is pushing us toward the world, to be conformed to the world, and the external one is pulling us toward the world to conform to the world, these two influences. And there's this pressure to join in the worldly lifestyle, pressure to abandon our godly lifestyle, that it says, uh, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. That we're supposed to be distinct, other, different. That's what holiness means, that God is separate from us. I mean, he still remains close to us, but in terms of who he is and what he's about, he is other, he's unique, he's distinct and so then for us now we're supposed to be holy as he is holy we're supposed to be about different things our character is supposed to be different than the world around us and so there's this pressure to join in the worldly lifestyle and abandon our godly lifestyle and being outsiders can be hard because we want to be insiders, I mean who I mean maybe some of you do this but I would doubt it, that you do you ever walk into a group of people and be like, I just hope none of them like me. Right? We want, everywhere we come, we want people to like us, uh, to like, love us, accept us, respect us. And so it can be hard to be an outsider, to be in your workplace or in your family or in your neighborhood or among your group of friends, and everyone is doing things that you're either saying no to or you're doing all kinds of things that they say no to. Like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't need another drink or I'm not going to go do that event with you because that's I, I have different values from you. And then there's pressure. Like, what do you mean you're not going to do that? Like, everyone's doing it kind of thing. And it's like that everyone's doing it. It's like, well, we want to do what everyone's doing. We want people to like us. We don't want them to see us as weird or different. We want to be insiders. And he talks about the flesh being... Uh, the passions of our flesh, um, we need to abstain from them. And he's not necessarily saying, like, you know, your skin flesh, but it's like this, the way the Bible talks, to, when he uses that term flesh, sometimes it could be like your, you know, your muscles and skin, but often it's talking about this inner inclination away from God. It's our inner inclination to be against what God is for. And now, when we trust in Jesus, um, we're saved from that power, um, so that we can now say no to it. Um, but we're not, it's not yet completely gone from our lives. So there's this inner inclination. And then he says that the passions of our flesh wage war against our souls. And you know, there's different ways that people break up the words in the Bible where it talks about the mind, the soul, the flesh, the heart. You know, so is it like we have 
how many parts are there to us? Some people will ask. And there's people who come down in different areas, like, well, you know, the soul and the mind, or you know, the heart and the mind. They're kind of talking about the same thing. So some people say there's three parts to us, or two parts to us. Um, I tend to see the soul as a way of referring to the whole person. That there isn't this distinct soul part in us that's kind of like separate from our bodies, but we are like embodied souls or ensouled bodies. That soul is a way of referring to our whole being. And they're not supposed to be. Uh, we're not supposed to be separated out. And so we have this inner inclination, the flesh, pulling us away from God or pushing us away from God. And those passions wage war against our soul. We might think, yeah, you know, like if I, you know, do this thing I know I'm not supposed to, it's, like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like God will, for-, you know. Then we're like, oh man, I need to be forgiven now. But we don't usually count the cost of that thing I did waged war against my soul against me as a person like it's doing something to destroy me that sin saying no to god turning our back on god living life on our terms and our way that we think like wow you know it's just having a little fun and god will forgive me so no harm done it's like no that actually was killing us these are things that are not good for us it's like putting vegetable oil in a your, your gas uh, tank it's not going to work it's like putting the wrong thing in us and it's going to destroy all of our inner workings, just like if you put oil in the tank of your car. And so he has these two influences, he says, he says an inside one and an outside one, an internal one and an external one. But then he gives these two commands. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. So that's the first one. The second is verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And so he has uh, two types of commands. There's a don't and a do. Uh, don't do this. You know, abstain from passions of your flesh. Don't give in to the, those inner inclinations that pull you away from God. But then he also says a do. Do keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There's a negative and a positive. You know, so we should be known both by what we don't do and by what we do. Christ followers are not supposed to be only known for what they're against, but we're supposed to be known by what we are for. You know, like, I don't, what's that old phrase, like, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. Anybody ever, is that a Wisconsin thing, too? I don't know. Never, that's what, you know, it's kind of like a thing, like, those are all the things I don't do. Those are the bad things. I don't dance. If you go back to Footloose days, you know, we don't dance, we don't drink, we don't chew, we don't smoke, we don't date gr- girls that do. And if you do, you're, like, kind of in the bad crowd. You're going away from God. It's like, is that what we want to be known for? Just all the things we're against? Um, that, okay, you just abstain from all this stuff. Sounds like a boring life, right? That's, that's what Christianity is. Stop doing all the things that are fun, that you, know, th- you think are fun right now. But he also says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So there's things that we don't do, which show honorable conduct. Conduct referring to like our way of life, our lifestyle, kind of like how we're living out our faith. Uh, but then there's things we do, like we, if we do something wrong, we go to our coworker or we go to our neighbor and we say, we say, that I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong, and I, you know, I, that I hurt you. I can see that I hurt you. I cost you something. And I'm sorry. Um, would you forgive me? That is something that is completely different. That the world and often in the church we're not very good at giving good apologies or succumbing and saying. You know, the, you know, the apologies that politicians make or anybody makes is like, mistakes were made. It's like, like, who made them? Like, no responsibility, no taking ownership. And it's just like, the world does not know how to apologize. 
And you can show yourself to be very different from the world by just, when you do something wrong, whatever it is, small or big, going and saying to whoever it is, I shouldn't have done that. What I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. Will you, I need, would you forgive me, please? And then people will say, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal. And then we say, no, it was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I need your forgiveness. You know, that apologizing is a huge way you can live a different lifestyle in this world. And there, he's talking about a lifestyle that um, is going, uh, goes along with being a Christian, of trusting in Jesus. Yes, we're broken, sinful people who need to be freed from the penalty of our sin. We need that forgiveness. But we also are people who have been made new creations, that the power of sin has been broken in our lives. And so now there should be something different that people are seeing from us. Not only like, oh yeah, I love forgiveness, it's so great, that's why you should be a Christian, but also this way of life, uh, this lifestyle, isn't doing damage to my soul. That this is actually the way God designed us to live in line with what he says uh, is good for us as human beings. And the good news uh, come, should come from a good person who's practicing what they preach. Not a perfect person. Uh, I find it helpful that Jesus, Katie, I once shared this um, uh, thing on social media with me that was uh, said, fill in the blank, Jesus, this passage where Jesus says, um, we'll like, stand before him. And he says to the person who's been faithful, well done, good and blank servant. And it's like, what would you fill in the blank there? Good and perfect. Good and knowing it all, servant. No, good and faithful. It's that being faithful to Jesus doesn't require perfection, uh, but faithfulness that we're saying, you're who I'm coming back to all the time, that I'm surrendering to you. You're my king. I know sometimes I mess that up and you provided forgiveness, but I keep coming back to that. And good news uh, ought to come from a good person who's practicing what they preach, that we've put on the gospel. The gospel, the good news we're telling people, should come from our words, but it also should be seen in our actions that this has changed us. Like if it's if there's a, such a radical thing that's been done to us is that the God of the universe decided to uh, take it upon himself to pay for all of our evil, all of our selfishness, all of our pride, all of our turning away from him, that should change us, right? That should, something should happen in us that you're saying this message of forgiveness, but you're a super bitter and you know resentful person. I don't. This isn't making sense. Um, that the the gospel does something in us that people can see it. That our message is given visibility and credibility by um, how we live, and we don't want to unsay with our actions what we've said with our words. And so the message about Christ is delivered through people who increasingly look more and more like Christ. But the message has changed us. Jesus has changed us. He's made a difference that now we start looking more like him. We're humble, laying down our lives, loving people sacrificially, um, overcoming evil with good, blessing instead of cursing and reviling, forgiving uh, and being compassionate rather than bitter, resentful, and vengeful. And we can often think that the less we stick out as different from people, the more acceptable our message will be. I, I can find myself falling into that, that the more people think I'm like them, the more they'll accept my message. And maybe you felt that too, like I just, I want them to kind of think I'm like them, like, you know, I'm hip and cool, I'm not one of those old-fashioned Christians or, you know, whatever it is, like, I want them to think I'm like them, and so that my message would be more 
acceptable. And I want to read this from a book. It was called Evangelism as Exiles. And it was going through 1 Peter, talking about how can we apply 1 Peter to the church today. It's a key of the author wrote, Peter knew that one of the greatest dangers for exiles is the constant feeling of being other. As a result, they can bow to social pressure, causing them to lose their unique identity as distinct from others. Often as Christians, we think that by adapting to our surroundings, we'll mitigate the forces against us. If we cave on this or that issue, maybe they won't ridicule us as much at work or in school. In fact, we may even believe that the more we behave like them, the better the chances they'll accept us and our gospel. We can somehow buy into the lie that Christianity will be more appealing the more it looks like the world. But the reality that Peter talks about is if we don't stick out to people, we lose opportunities to talk about Jesus when people notice that we're different and ask us, why do you do that? I see you at your desk every day. You put your head down for a little bit and say a prayer. I see you at lunch reading your Bible. Or like you're always telling me you're sorry for these little things you do. Like You're always trying to make sure we're good and that I'm okay. Like Why do you do that? What is that? And they might be like, oh, you know, Mitch never, never comes out on Fridays, you know, to the to the bar after after work. Never comes and hangs out. Or he's so weird. He always gets us water. Uh, and it's like, who is this guy? Like we're all here to drink. But then they're also noting this other thing that you're compassionate, that you sit with the person who's new or who maybe feels a little left out, uh, that you apologize when you're wrong. And it's like, well, wait a second, that's kind of weird. But then there's this part that. Uh, they're different, and I want to know why that is. And so we've talked about two influences, the two commands he gives, and then he talks about two purposes. So he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And why? Because they wage war against your soul. So that's one reason to be different. Secondly, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So there's two purposes. Why would we uh, be different? Why would we abstain from the things of the world? Why would we make our conduct different from the world? Two purposes. Uh, it's for your good. It's for God's glory. It's, it's good for you. Like if you went to the doctor and you're like, man, I'm just really unhealthy. And they're like, well, do you do this, this, or that? You know, they always ask, do you smoke? Do you, have, you know, do you need tobacco or whatever? Like, what's your fitness? And so there's things that you should stop doing if you want to get healthy. There's things you should start doing if you want to get healthy. And so he says, look, it's good for you. To be different from the world is good for you. To go the way of the world is bad for you. And so it's for your good to abstain from these things of the world and have a different conduct because those things wage war against your soul. They kill you. But he also says uh, that they. it's also for God's glory that if their conduct is... <coughs> matching uh, what it should be, that people will see their good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's both good for us and it's glorifying to God. And you may wonder, okay, well he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. And what would they maybe call them evildoers? Like what are these Christians doing that somebody would say to them, you're evil, uh, you're doing evil. Well, they're, they had a whole lineup of gods that people are worshiping in the Roman Empire, and the, you need to do something with the gods, keep them happy, so that the nation keeps going well, right? You don't want the gods against you, and so whatever you're doing through the religion of the gods is 
you're making them happy for the welfare of Rome. And if now you're saying, like, you know, I'm not going to do the things that are required to keep the gods happy. I'm going to stop doing that and do these other things. Now people are going to say, well, if things are going bad, it's because these Christians, they're all taking everyone astray. They're not doing the sacrifices. They're not doing the prayers. They're not doing the things to keep the gods happy so that our things will go well for us. And these Christians, they have different beliefs and values and practices than us. This is what it means to be Roman. And this is what a striving society looks like. And look at these people. They're all going a different way than that. They're against our way of life. And so they're what's pro- the problem here. They have different beliefs. And they behave differently. They don't join in on the things that we do on our festivals and our holidays. And they don't you know, do the prayers we pray. And so these people, this is what's wrong with our country. So what's wrong with our nation. If we want the empire to stay good, let's get these people in line or get rid of them. And so we might ask, well, what are the gods of our culture? What are the gods that, when we reject them, uh, people may get upset and think we're bringing disaster upon our society and tell us, you're what's wrong with the world. It could be our beliefs about sexuality which are, and gender, which are some of the things that stick out the most. It could be things that we abstain from. Um, you might get invited to a wedding, and I'm not uh, that you know maybe a gay couple's getting married. I'm not going to say one way or another whether you should go to that or not. But you might decide uh, we're not going to go, and then you could get ridiculed for that. That people might get upset with you and be mad at you and your family. And so we have these gods in our culture, and one of them we talked about is expressive individualism. That the whole goal of our culture and being a person is that I would be able to express on the outside what I feel as an individual on the inside. That me, myself, I determine who I am and how I have to live and how you should address me. That expressive individualism is the most important thing is for me to express on the outside what I feel to be true on the inside. And if we challenge that and say, well, you know, God's really the one who tells you who you are. There's actually an external influence that is supposed to tell you who you are, your identity, how you're supposed to live. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, no, it's about what I feel, my truth. And I need to express that, and you need to honor that and respect it. And so if we come and say, no, your identity is something given to you, not something that you figure out for yourself, um, then that's going to get people upset. There was this research done, um, I believe it was in California. There was these guys, uh, I I believe they were in college ministry, and they were seeing these people that had very different beliefs from Christianity um, that were coming to faith, in Jesus, and so people are asking them, or they are asking themselves, well, why, what's going on here? What is? Why are all these people that you would expect to be completely opposed to Christianity, um, with all these, you know, beliefs in Cal- California? Maybe it's kind of one of the areas you say would, um, is kind of furthest along in terms of our country's development of moving away from Christian beliefs. And it's like, well, people are coming to Christ here. What's going on? Um, and so they went and started asking people, like, well, what was it like for you? How did this happen? Um, what was this journey like? What's your story of how you became a Christian? And they noticed through these interviews that there was, like, these five thresholds that people would cross. Maybe they'd start here, and then it's like, then they crossed this threshold. And then there was the next threshold. There's almost like the steps um, that they were going through. And the very first step that they identified, the first threshold they crossed was they trusted a Christian. They came to a place where they were in a relationship with someone who was a believer, who was a Christ follower, and they trusted them. They thought, this person is kind of like one of our main goals of people should be to defy their expectations of Christians. 
not about what we believe, but in some ways how we treat them. Um, when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate, it's like all these people are saying, like, he's bad, he's bad for the country, he's bad for the nation. And Jesus had a radical message. I mean, he's talking about being the king, and you don't do that when there's already a king on the throne, the emperor. And so that's why he gets brought before Pontius Pilate, like, this guy's trying to stir up a rebellion. And Pontius Pilate interviews him, interrogates him, and is like, I don't find anything wrong with him. Uh, there's nothing I have against him. And in some ways, we want people uh, to maybe say about us, maybe I was wrong about Christians, and be surprised. Um, because what can happen is that uh, people may know our beliefs, and think they know our beliefs, that, well, you guys are, you're what's wrong with the country. You're, you're bigoted, you're exclusive, you're hateful, um, you don't, you're intolerant. And they might have all those things because they know what we believe, which is, yeah, we believe Jesus is the only way. Yeah, we believe God defines gender and sexuality. And then they meet us, and all of a sudden it's like, you're not hateful at all. I, I'm seeing that you have those beliefs. You're not budging on those. That you believe Jesus is the only way to God, that God's way is the best way, and that we believe the Bible is the, you know, to even believe that this book comes from God. It's like, you have these really bizarre beliefs that I completely disagree with, but I'm meeting you, and you're not hateful at all. Um, you're kind, you're gentle, you're patient, you're interested in me. Um, what I've always been told is that you're against me, but you're actually asking me questions and loving me and accepting me. Like, you still aren't budging, changing your beliefs, but we want to be like, um, the first threshold people cross often is trusting a Christian. And so, I want to just sum up with this big idea. Being different is good and glorifying. It's good for you because you abstain from what destroys you as a human being. It's good for others because it puts the gospel on display and invites them to see and consider a different way of life, a different way of being human. And it's glorifying to God because it shows he matters most to you. That when uh, people, you know, the day of, it talked about glorifying God on the day of visitation and so there's kind of disagreement on whether the day of visitation, is that the day of visitation for judgment? Or is this the day of visitation when God comes into this person's life and brings them to salvation, both of which would glorify God? Um, judgment would be, the, you know, people are standing before Jesus, they have, they've rejected him, and they're seeing, oh, I think I was wrong about this whole thing, and now God's being glorified that they're saying, like, yeah, these Christians... I didn't believe what they believed, but they were, they were kind, and now I see that, and that glorifies God. Or it's God brings them to Christ through this person's conduct, through uh, give, the, the conduct giving opportunities to talk about Jesus. And there's lots of ways we can be different to show how we're different. And I want to read a quote as a way to close from that book, Evangelism as Exiles, that I read from earlier. So here's some ways you might think about what would it look like for you to be different in you know, all the scenarios and relationships you have in life. So he writes, when you decline the invitation to your friend's bachelor party, when you refuse unethical business practices, when you turn down the offer of drugs, when you won't cheat on the test, when you abstain from mocking political leaders, when you don't sleep around, when you excuse yourself from an inappropriate movie, when you won't lie about your age, when you don't laugh at crass humor, when you refuse to break the law, when you won't join in endless gossip, 
when you miss the Sunday soccer game? And those are some ways you might be like, you may think uh, when you're not here, think about situations you're in and think, where am I feeling the pressure to want to fit in, to want to be liked, for people to not notice that I'm different from them? And like I said, if there's maybe perhaps three things that we see a lot are, do we apologize when we're wrong? How do we respond to people's negative or critical feedback? And thirdly, how do we talk about other people when they aren't with us? Do we gossip, complain? We also like to call it venting. Just venting. This is like a good thing. But that can, depending on what the relationship is, it often can just be um, an unhealthy way to try and get someone else to be against that person like you're against that person. And so I think those things um, can be ways that we could be different. And I just want to pause here and give you an opportunity to maybe to think about a situation where you are having a hard time being different, where you feel that pressure. And maybe you want to write it down, um, but I think the best way to apply what we just heard today is that we're walking out of here saying, I know when I go to work Monday, well, not Monday, uh, Tuesday, that this is the, I'm going to feel this pressure to do this, or there's a situation at work, and I've been feeling like, like I'm having a hard time with it, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Or I have this relationship, and you know, I just get together with this person, and we just always end up talking about this other annoying person, other annoying friend, or other annoying family member. And maybe this is the week that you make the decision to say, you know what, Kathy? I don't know if any of you know Kathy. You know what, Kathy? I don't think this is good for us. I don't think it's very kind to this other person. You're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop that. So I want to give you, you know, uh, a little bit of time in silence just to, to pray and ask God, God, where are you calling me to be different? And how are you going to do that this week? So take some time. You can write it down and pray. And I'll close us in prayer. Father, you call us to be different. You've changed our relationship with you, so now it's different than what it was, that once we were estranged from you, we were exiled, we were separated, we were strangers to you. And then you brought us near. You brought us out of darkness. And so now we're strangers and exiles in this world. But we know longer are with you. And so thank you for bringing us in this relationship with you. Lord, would you make us people who are continue to be different, who respond differently, and who have the courage to act differently. Because we know it's good for us, it's good for other people, and it glorifies you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.